Okay then, so here we are taking our last look at the book of Leviticus. This is the sixth out of six parts uh, looking at this incredible book in the Old Testament. First thing I'm going to do is read from chapter 26, then I'm going to pray, and then we'll start having a look uh, at this, our, our sort of wrap-up session. So let's take a look. Uh, I'm going to read at uh, verse 1 in chapter 26, uh, and we start like this. Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves, and do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest and the grape harvest will continue until planting and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I will grant peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favour and make you fruitful and increase your numbers and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. That's from Leviticus 26. That's one, verses 1 to 13 there. Let's pray. Father, we've spent some time looking at this uh, amazing book and all it has to offer in understanding your promise, your covenant, and the way in which you want to um, dwell with and among your people, your humanity. Would you bring some of those things home to us this time around? Would you help us to heed that invitation and look for ways to dwell with you ourselves? Amen. Okay, so really, the point I want to make in this last session, and I'll, I'll put it up there just at the front, is that we are uh, really to live in the invitation that God offers. All the way through this series, there have been some key themes and there have been some key points that we've come back to. That when God created, the pinnacle of that creation was Sabbath. A shared time and place between God and humanity. The story of Genesis takes humanity away from God and the story of Exodus is God bringing humanity back and he does that through the people of Israel. God comes to dwell with his people through the tabernacle which is kind of a, a recreated Eden in miniature. Having taken up residence with his people God then invites them to approach him and Leviticus really tackles how that works. It describes how God makes it possible for that approach to happen through a system of sacrifices and rituals that are rich in symbolic meaning to do with the holiness of God and the right attitude by which to approach him and the need to approach God along the path that God builds himself. Okay, so we've seen all of that going on 
as we've worked through so far. And the whole book really is about this invitation to approach God. The title of this series has been um, Live in La Vida Leviticus or, or Living the Leviticus Life. So as we finish this sixth part, I want to ask, what does it mean to live the Leviticus life? And the first thing I want to say is this, to live the Leviticus life is to accept the invitation to God's presence. Effectively, we cannot live how God invites us, asks us to live, unless we spend time with him. So if we're living La Vida Leviticus, what does that mean? Well, we're going to look at four questions. What is the Leviticus life? What does it say uh, about ethics, so the way we live? Uh, and thirdly, if it's not just about rules, what's the point of the book? And fourthly, what difference does the book make? So what is the Leviticus life? Leviticus life is a life in which we allow ourselves to be drawn towards God. In Jeremiah 24, as God speaks through Jeremiah about restoring the people of Israel, about bringing them home to the place he made for them, uh, Judah, which has gone into exile, he says this, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. That's Jeremiah 24, 7. And really, it represents the 24-7 heart of God for his people. Leviticus is set up and concluded with an invitation and an intention. The invitation, when you approach, and the intention, I will walk among you. They're found in chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 26, verse 12. So a Leviticus life is a life in which we choose to move towards God. God has laid out a path by which humanity can approach, but it's up to us, it's up to human beings, it's up to people to choose whether or not to use that path. A Leviticus life is a life in which we make it a priority to answer the invitation and to move towards God every day. Okay, second question then, what are the ethical implications? What does it say about ethics to live life this way? We're called to live life alongside God. It's, it's what Jesus did, lived every day with God as his hour by hour companion. And Jesus is our example, especially for learning the Father's ways. God invites us to walk with him as he walks with us. Paul describes it, in talking about it in terms of Jesus, when he writes to the Colossians in Colossians 2. And from verse 6, he says this, And now, just as you've accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. God calls his people to walk with him, to live his way. This is the foundation of the call to discipleship. What Jesus invites us to do is the same idea. The Leviticus life is a life of walking with. It's a life of obedience. It's a life of, of saying, yes, God, that's, that's who I'm going to be and, and how I'm going to be. And I wanted to um, illustrate that by reading a poem that I've read before. A poem that came to me as I was thinking um, a couple of years back about discipleship. It's called, Do You Want to Walk? Do you want to walk, to walk with Jesus, to tread behind him, 
to stride alongside the standard bearer of living love, to follow, not hollow, not halfway or haphazard, not hesitant. Do you want to walk? Hear the call, hear it. Jesus is here. He is not to be missed, but to be embraced and wholeheartedly kissed. This master advertising for apprentices, this leader, this lamb, this elemental, fundamental force of freedom is the antidote to fear and laced with grace. Will you follow? Do you want to walk? Because you can. You can stand and you can walk and you can stride and follow. No hand can hold you back. No plan of attack can block the track. The train line, go sign, step this way, whole nine yards invitation means you can. But will you? Do you want to walk? Will you go and go again? Will you decide that even when today's now becomes tomorrow's then, that you will keep those boots tied? Do you want to walk? Are you willing to abandon your tribe? Say yes to Jesus and no to tradition. To make his mission your ambition, to lay it all down to sacrifice pride and preference and pattern, to lay down ideals and us and assertion for the sake of walking. It's time to step out, step up and step in. Will you walk? Question three. If it's not just simply a rule book, what's the point? of Leviticus. To describe God's priorities, to help us see what God longs for, uh, and, and as far as he's willing to go to get there, we need books like Leviticus, because they, they do, they, they lay it all out. They describe also what Jesus came to fulfil, this sense of bridging the gap, and, and ultimately not just bridging it, but closing it. This sense of us being able to walk with him, by him, and, and to be holy by being with him. This, this sense of God's way being the only way that works. The sense of living life to a rhythm, not that we have chosen, but which God has set. The sense of God's intention being the driver for fulfilled humanity. All, all that is conveyed by, conveyed by Leviticus. It is not simply about what rules to keep. And what difference does it make or how does it change the way we live? By making God's invitation to us a big priority, that's probably the way I would want to answer that question. How does it change the way we live? By, by really hammering home that priority of the invitation that God makes. God's way of doing things isn't just to rescue, but it's to set out a new way of living. It's a way that's designed to help us get closer and closer to him and, and all the gospels and the new testament letters describe the same thing did you notice by the way as we went through leviticus how much time and energy is given to various things so reconciliation is pivotal indeed at the start of this series i talked quite a lot about how the, the heart of the heart of the heart of the story in the middle of leviticus 16 is about reconciliation so it's at the core. And yet time and words are given to invitation and dwelling over and over again. Focus is given to God's provision of himself to humanity. 
This is a powerful reminder because the purpose of God's call to us is to rescue, but not just to rescue. It's also to regenerate. I wanted to share a quote from a, um, a writer and theologian I've got a lot of time for um, uh, called Dallas Willard. And it's not a short quote, so bear with me. Grace, he writes, is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. Many people don't know this, and that is one major result of the cutting down of the gospel to a theory of justification, which has happened in our time. I have heard, he goes on to write, I have heard leading evangelical spokespeople say that grace has only to do with guilt. And many people today understand justification as the only essential result of the gospel. And the gospel they preach is, and you will hear this said over and over by the leading presenters of evangelical faith, the gospel they preach is that your sins can be forgiven. That's it. In contrast, I make bold to say, continues Willard, the gospel of the entire New Testament is that you can have new life now in the kingdom of God if you will trust Jesus Christ. Not just something he did or something he said, but trust the whole person of Christ in everything he touches, which is everything. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human. If you would really like to be into consuming grace, continues Willard, just lead a holy life. The true saint burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. Become the kind of person who routinely does what Jesus did and said. You will consume much more grace by leading a holy life than you will by sinning. Because every holy act you do will have to be upheld by the grace of God. And that upholding is totally the unmerited favour of God in action. It is the life of regeneration and resurrection and justification, which is absolutely vital for our sins have to be forgiven. But justification is not something separable from regeneration. Thank you for bearing with me as I read that quote. The focus of Leviticus then is not limited to the Day of Atonement, which is at the heart of it, but isn't the whole of it. The focus of Leviticus encompasses the whole of life and it makes the dwelling with God in his presence idea something that is woven through all of life, from the rhythm of creation to the rhythm of the year. From the approach to God to the approach to neighbour. From how to meet with God through to how to care about each other. God doesn't just want to forgive our sin. He wants us to live alongside him, to be in Eden with him to know what it's like to walk with him in the cool of the evening as genesis 3 says or as we might say to walk with him on sun-drenched beaches to walk with him on starry nights to walk with him through storms and snowdrifts and to walk with him in suffering and struggle that's the invitation so what do we do next we've read leviticus my hope is that as i have worked through it and have taken an overview that you with me have actually read the whole book. What do we do? Well, carry on reading. That's important. We've got to carry on. We need to recognise that that reaching the end of this particular focus and then saying, well, I can park that now. I've, I've read Leviticus. 
doesn't do justice to what scripture is designed to do to explain and expose and expand God to us and to help us see how he interacts with his creation so carry on read Leviticus more read Hebrews too and get excited by that what else well we look carefully for patterns in the story of the Bible there is this repeated pattern of exile and return and we've seen it through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus but we also see it in Judges and into Samuel we see it in Kings we see it in Ezekiel we see it in Nehemiah there's plenty of uh, situations where that is being uh, renewed as a key story God's repeated initiative brings his people back to him because God desires to share his creation with us and so he keeps coming and looking you've only got to spend five minutes listening to Jesus in the gospels and you know about the story of the lost coin and uh, the story of the lost sheep and and the the story of the father welcoming his son home after he'd been away and you know that this is how God works that is his desire and he goes to enormous lengths to make it possible what else well um, we aim to read the Bible really well and we do that by getting rid of the idea that if we dip in and out if we um, if we connect with things that we like um, if we if we watch something on the internet that happens to chime with what we already think we've got to get rid of the idea that those things qualify as going deeper they don't Going deeper is things like getting to know your ancient Near Eastern brothers and sisters. What did the original um, audience of the Bible, the Old Testament accounts, how did they see the world? What did they understand to be normal? What was their cultural ordinary that helps us understand those Old Testament expressions and context? I would at this point absolutely recommend a book, um, which I was planning to show you. Here it is. book by um, a preacher and theologian and uh, academic called God of Violence Yesterday, God of Love Today by Helen Painter. I, may have, I have mentioned her previously in this sequence. It's a very, very good book, not just because of how it tackles the subjects, which it does very well, but also because of the way in which it encourages us to read the Bible appropriately. As we read the Bible well, we can stop pretending to know it better than we do. Uh, we can recognize that we are always learning and the always learning bit means also always unlearning things that were unhelpful or misleading and there will be plenty of those that we discover also don't outsource the reading of the bible don't wait for someone else to do things for you and tell you what happens read it yourself it's up to you to do that reading be willing to prioritize the richness and layers of meaning in the old testament and in many uh, many respects understanding the richness of the layers of meaning becomes every bit as important and sometimes more important than being able to nail down the the historicity the um, uh, the sense of factual narrative so to read the bible as its kind of literature not as 20 20th 21st century journalism or biography because those are not genres that the bible is using for example um, if you read uh, the history of um, the French people from the late uh, 18th through to the early 19th century, you might just read it 
by looking at Napoleon's successes and failures. And you might see a nation of warriors um, who cared little for the lives of the Europe. Uh, European nations around them. You could do that or you could actually recognise that there are layers of meaning to be understood and then recognise um, that that nation completely changed its character as Napoleon reformed its social structures and its bureaucracy and um, the way in which it numbered houses on the streets and, and the priority given to schools and uh, whatever else. But there is there is lots and layers of meaning are necessary for us to read the Bible well. Let's move on a little bit. What else should we do next? Uh, well, let's get to know God deeply. We read the Bible through the lens of God's own character. So as we read the Bible, God remains the God who describes himself as slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus' character too, his priorities and how he'd said disciples should be. Those things don't stop being the case just because we come across something which feels like it doesn't quite line up the same way. After all, we pray to a God that we know to be compassionate. and We make time and space to be with God whose love shapes humanity. We spend time with a God who can be trusted to be kind and we absolutely recognize that God is a God who is holy and, and mighty and yet still always approachable as he has made himself to be. Uh, the text there might be slightly less easy to read it's in a sort of a gold font so my apologies if it loses some of its um, uh, some of the <laughs> ease of reading in there. Where do we go from here? We carry the importance of Leviticus priorities with us in the whole of our understanding of life with God. So we recognise that God with us is a key theme in Leviticus and we carry that forward and recognise that in Jesus and by the Spirit God remains with us. We build into how we live and understanding that the invitation to dwell with God in his fulfilled creation is his ultimate aim. And so we prioritise how we um, how we worship him through the way that we care for the creation that he has given. We recognise that there is a God-made path to approach God and we revel in that. We, we find joy in just being able to approach. We also recognise that rhythms of worship are important, that God encourages us to return to him, return to him on a regular basis, to build it into the pattern of life that we have. And to recognise, these are all themes of Leviticus, and the last one that I'm going to mention just now is that holiness is important. Um, it's the defining characteristic of God, and it's also something God longs to share with us. He's not saying, I am holy and you're in trouble. He says, I am holy and I want to share that holiness with you. I'm just going to throw another one in here and say this. As we go forward, we need to echo the commission of Israel as light to the nations. That's Israel's job. They are the people in humanity who represent what God is wanting to be in in and with humanity. They are to be light to the nations. They weren't always good at it. And even now they have moments when it is less obvious that that's their role. But that commission remains the same. And, and as believers who Jesus has um, told are grafted in, that's part of how we are to live too. So. What does that mean? Well, we encourage each other to read the Bible. We talk to each other about the goodness of God and his holiness. We remind each other about the compassion 
of God. We tell those who don't know Jesus about a God who invites, because if that's the Leviticus priority, that's the God who we need to make sure is well represented. As we talk to the world about what what knowing God means, what following Jesus means, our priority here, as we've learned through Leviticus, needs to include, this is a God who invites. The God we tell people about is holy and mighty and powerful and has shaped history and that must never be played down but if we're going to talk about a god who shapes history we need to also talk about a god who shapes history so that we might keep returning to him he shapes history for our benefit so that the invitation can remain open finally we remember who god is you know, I, I grew up really believing that Leviticus was sort of a straitjacket. To my mind, it was a book of don'ts. It, it filled my head with regulations and restrictions. And now that I've read it properly, I can see the purpose of what it says. I can recognise the invitation in it. it. It has genuinely shaken up my understanding of God, and I'm delighted for that. This is how reading the Bible should work. I can see the heart of a loving God beating in every chapter, even though some of the language can feel a little bit like it's right in your face. I can see the heart of the God who begins that book with the invitation, when you approach, this is how. The same God who who builds up the context at the start of the book by bringing his people back towards him. Where do we take our understanding of Leviticus then? And maybe for you it hasn't changed, but if it has, if you're able to recognise that sense that invitation is at the heart of this book and, and to, to live the Leviticus life, to, to live La Vida Leviticus, is to live in the invitation. If that's something that you get, and I want to say this, it's a book about God's character. So it contains a message to share to the world. Listen, if I, if I don't understand Leviticus well, then the, then the God I talk to them about, as I come out of the back of Leviticus, the God I talk to them about is the God of a straitjacket. A straight jacket designed by God for humanity to, to restrict and limit it. If I don't read Leviticus well, that's the God I tell people about. And I don't tell them about the invitation. I tell them about a God of high standards who is quick to bring out his headmaster's cane. But I don't tell them about the teacher who knows well how to instruct every student of life. If I don't understand Leviticus well, I tell them about a God of blood and vengeance, but I don't tell them about life from sacrifice. Or the blessing of the invitation to keep God company as he walks around his creation. If I don't know Leviticus well, then my God is a caricature and the world ends up seeing something out of balance or even possibly just grotesque. But if I know Leviticus well and see God's invitation at work, then I can tell the world about the one who invites. If I know Leviticus well, I can see God's holiness at work. I can tell the world about the one who is beyond my best. In all the best ways there are. If I know Leviticus well and see God's presence at work, I can tell the world about the one who shares my humanity. Who knows my pain. And if I know Leviticus well and can see God's character at work, I can tell the world that they don't need to trust a caricature or listen to those who present one. Because the God who makes a way for us to approach is much too brilliant to be reduced to that caricature. I'm just going to stay with this point just for a few moments before I finish. Because if you, 
If you read Leviticus as primarily a rule book rather than a book of invitation, then we end up prioritising the rules over the invitation. And when we do that, we make the covenant about the rules rather than the invitation. And then we make holiness about rules rather than sharing the presence of God, the wonderful presence of God. Just think about it for a minute. Who did Jesus have the biggest problem with in the Gospels, particularly in Matthew? It was the Pharisees and the scribes because of their legalism. It was their priority of rules over invitation. They didn't want people involved in their religion because they saw the rules as a higher priority than the invitation. I don't want you to misunderstand this. I'm not saying that the rules are, are things that don't matter. I'm not saying that at all. And I really would be very sad if anybody came away from this sequence and from this talk and said, oh, Mark told us the rules aren't important. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that the framework of the law is about the invitation. All right. The sacrifices of chapters one to seven are about invitation and approach. The cleanness of the tabernacle in chapters eight to 15 is about God's invitation and his people's approach to him in response. That it needs to be done well. The explanation of good practice for priests and worshippers in chapter 17 to 22 is about the approach in response to invitation. The rhythm of the week and the year and the, the years in chapters 23 to 25 are all about how we approach this God who has invited us. The whole thing. It's about how we approach a God who's invited us to come to him. However many rules there are doesn't change that heartbeat. And the promise of chapter 26 is about what God longs to do when we approach in response to his invitation. When we come because he says, come, chapter 26 says, I will walk with you. Always. And all of that is the reason why Jesus, when he comes to invite us to walk with him in the gospel stories, to be part of the father's family and to have a place in his father's house, that stuff from Jesus, that's why he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he's quoting from the Old Testament when he does that. He's inviting his disciples to walk with him. He doesn't invite them to a renewed rule keeping, but to a relationship because of that invitation. It's why he says that he fulfills the law and the prophets, because his voice is the ultimate voice of the invitation of Leviticus. And that voice doesn't ignore holiness, but it does extend the invitation to a holiness that's shared with us, his humanity, a shared holiness made possible through the Holy Spirit. And that voice, that voice that invites is a voice of power and of tenderness at one and the same time. It's the voice of one who is both brother and king. When we prioritise the law as rules rather than invitation, we end up painting a picture of God who is more interested in us keeping the rules than meeting with him. That's not the God that we learn about in Leviticus or anywhere else. When you do that, if you do that, you fool yourself into believing that intimacy with God is less important than keeping the law, and it isn't. Leviticus tells us it's all about the invitation. God says, when you come, in chapter 1, verse 1. In fact, that's hammered home, isn't it? Do you remember in that, in that verse it says, God called and spoke and said, three, three ways in which God is using his voice, his voice which is the creative power behind the universe. And that power says, when you come. When we reduce Leviticus, if we do, to a book of static regulations, rather than living it as a dynamic book of invitation, when we reduce it to rules, we become those Pharisees. And all we end up seeing in the world around us is rule breakers. All we end up seeing in other believers is rule breakers. And then we don't see 
the made in his image potential of every single one of them. The made in his image potential that God sees as he invites each and every single one into his presence. That's what he sees. That's what he prioritises. That's what Leviticus is about, the invitation. So we must allow God to, to shape his own priorities and not tell him what they should be. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Jesus says that his sheep know his voice and his voice is a voice of invitation. If we don't know that invitation as the heart of God, then we don't know that shepherd. Come to me, says God. Be with me. Share my presence. Share my holiness. Live la vida Leviticus. Let's pray. Father, show us the rich landscape of this marvellous book. Let us live in it. Keep us from flattening it out and making it featureless. Allow your invitation to shape all of who we are and help us to love you. Amen. Finally, before I went, I wanted to set you a challenge, which is this. Read Hebrews. Read the whole book. Take about an hour, I think, maybe a fraction more. And as as you're reading it, just have a little bit of paper beside you and write down three things that make you excited about what you're reading there. And then share them. Tell somebody about them. Tell me if you want to. I'd love it if it was me. But tell us anybody why you're excited about Hebrews, which brings the Leviticus story and puts it all in the context of Jesus. Thank you for being with us through this series and take care. Bye bye.